Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June, this is for you Brisbane friends. So the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June, an informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance, from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. And a second quick announcement, a shout out to the new Take On Board Kickstarter alumni, Alex Cuthbertson, Anne Wallington, Audrey Umity, Ebony Worth, Emma Bonser, Helen Rizzoli, Julia O'Reilly, Kath Harris, Leah Bramhill, Nisha Amanala, Susan Fitoza and Yaz Volra. What an incredible group of people. I cannot wait to hear about the next steps that you're taking to the boardroom and I have no doubt you're all going to make an amazing contribution. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hi folks, it's Helia. Just wanted to pop in at the start of this episode and say that you might notice that the audio is just a little bit glitchy in places for this episode. Um, We've cleaned it up as much as we can, but every now and again, you might notice that it's a bit glitchy. This is what happens when you have to do everything via Zoom. So soldier on with it and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Tricia Malowney about diversity, recognising women with a disability for their skills and talents, and becoming an ally. First, let me tell you about Tricia. Tricia is President of Women with Disabilities Australia, Director of Scope Australia, and a Director of Western Health. She has also recently been appointed to the NDIS Independent Advisory Council. The list of boards she's previously been on is long and it includes being the inaugural president of Disability Services Board, the inaugural chair of Women with Disabilities Victoria, a director of the Women's Hospital, where I was a colleague with Tricia, deputy chair of the Victorian Disability Advisory Council, director of Women's Health East, director of Women's Health Victoria. She has a wealth of information and experience that she's going to share with us today. So welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Tricia. Thank you, and thank you for having me. 
such a pleasure. As I say, having been a colleague with you on the Royal Women's Hospital and also just knowing you from a whole range of other places, I know that the conversation we're going to have today will be fabulous. So, Tricia, before we talk through diversity and recognising women with a disability with, for their skills and talents and becoming an ally, I would love to start with digging a little bit deeper about you. Can you tell us a story about young Tricia that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? Young Tricia, that's a long time ago. I suppose really I don't want to go too far back. I actually want to talk about how I got into doing what I'm doing now. And it was when I was working for Victoria Police and they said to me, will you be the disability liaison officer for Victoria Police? And at the time I was working in the equity and diversity unit training police about sexual harassment and discrimination. And I said to them, I don't know anything about disability. And they said to me, but you've got one. And I went, oh, okay. But I'd always been mainstreamed. So I went to mainstream schools, I went to mainstream work. There was an expectation of me that I would be just the same as everybody else. I'm one of 10, which may influence how I've grown up. So I have six sisters and three brothers. I'm the second in the family. And I've often questioned my mother, how come at a time when people were regularly institutionalised if they had a disability, how come I wasn't? And she always says, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that when they told me to put you in a home and go away and have more children, that I wasn't going to do that. She mm. said, I only heard the second part, not the first part. <laughs> you heard the part about having more children. So I had the same expectations of me as the other members of my family. In fact, there's a funny story my, my father tells where when my youngest sister, who is 20 years younger than me, was in her teenage years, he said, I want to show you a room in our house that you've probably never seen. And he took her into the kitchen and he said, this is a room where we actually do things like cooking and cleaning. And she just rolled her eyes and said, no. And he said, it's not a room you walk through to get through to the dining room. And he said to her, when Trisha was small, we used to tie her to a chair so she could do the dishes. And she said, you did not. And I said, yes, I did. But I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. Mm. So I had polio. I contracted polio when I was four months old. So I've not known any different. This is me. So I wear calipers and I use crutches to get around. But sitting around the boardroom, you wouldn't know. It's only when I get up. Mm. That's when the problems come in. Actually, I'm interested then, Tricia, that in, you know, we are recording this at the start of August. We're both in Melbourne, so we're in stage four restrictions. So although for some months here in Melbourne and for some months for many people around the world, there is no board table. There is your own desk and your own table at home and a Zoom conversation, much like the one we're having now. So I'm, I'm interested, you know, in what you just said about it's only when I get up from the board table. So this period, how has that impacted you, good, bad or otherwise? Actually, it's been really funny because I have never been busier. Mm. I have so much work that um, for somebody who's over 65 and who is in wind-down mode, I'm now working six days a week. 
I cannot imagine you ever being in wind down mode, Tricia. <laughs> My mother keeps saying to me, you know, people retire at your age, and I just think, why on earth would I do that? So just just I'll just give give you an example of the last it's 10 days. So Saturday before last, I presented a paper at a conference in Bangalore. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. That evening I worked with a colleague in London. Then on Monday night, I took Sunday off. Monday night, I worked again in London. On Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, I co-facilitated training for women on the Pacific Rim with a colleague in London. Mm. On Thursday afternoon, I presented a paper at a conference in Indonesia. And in between times, I've been running training programs for entrepreneurs with disabilities. So that's been my week, Mm. those 10 days. Um, I worked Saturday night for an hour or so, and then Sunday I I had the day off again, and Monday it starts again. So I can work anywhere now. Mm. Now, in my board work, that's all online, all that has been online. So even in the period in Melbourne where we went back to meeting face-to-face, I didn't. Mm. I haven't left the house since March the 13th, mm. uh, which was Friday the 13th, by the way, which is yeah. not that I'm <laughs> superstitious. But, so I haven't left home. Interestingly, I'm on the board of Western Health and we mm. have only, I think it's four, no, three board members who are from the previous board. So they're all new board members. None of them have met me except those other two. So it's going to be interesting when they see me face-to-face. I mean, I never hide my disability. I always disclose it the first time I meet people online. I have a disability. And I tell them what it is because I think it's important for people to know that you can have a disability and still be competent. Yes. But it is interesting if people then meet me there's always you can see that little bit of a surprise. Oh, actually, you can't walk. (laughs) But I still know what I'm talking about. Well, mostly I know what I'm talking about as much as anybody else does. So it is interesting. Hmm. I must admit, as somebody who's generally not the tallest person in the room, that meetings via Zoom are a great equaliser for that because you're all the same height on video. And um, I do remember years ago, somebody that I had dealt with over the phone quite a bit and then finally I met them and as I walked in they just kind of looked at me and went oh you sound taller on the phone which I kind of took as a compliment I guess it's a bit hard to tell but yes it's a great equalizer in that way. It's really um, quite funny because I'm also quite short I'm four foot nine and a quarter and don't ever forget my quarterage so I'm the shortest person in my family and even the children so we've got great nieces and nephews. When they get to a certain age, they start coming up and measuring themselves against me. It's usually about seven when they start doing that. Uh, I'm with you there, Trisha. So, um, you know, sort of, I'm probably somebody you like standing next to. I actually have a colleague that um, a woman with a disability who I, I had only met online and back in the days when we used to travel. And I used to travel fairly regularly to Canberra and I would meet colleagues in Canberra. And when I met her, she had always said to me she was short. Mm. And then I met her and she was right. 
Yeah. She was actually <laughs> probably my height. And I, you know, sort of don't get quite surprised when I meet people my height, other than my uh, colleagues with a chondroplasia, of course, or a short-statured mm. colleague. Yes. Um, so it is, you know, so you think, oh, yeah, they are short. But you really, this is, this is an equaliser. And I have been doing Zoom meetings for the last probably three years, so I'm on national boards. And it's not always practical for women with disabilities to travel easily. Yeah. Um, I love to travel, but there's complications with not having accessible accommodation. Um, that's always the bane of our lives when you get to a conference and you find out, oh, well, actually, I can't actually have a shower in this hotel because they've booked me one with a bath with handrails and they think that means access. Not quite. Mm. So it's, it's those sorts of things. Having Zoom meetings for me means I'm saving three hours a day of travel. Yep. I don't have to get up some, at some ungodly hour of the morning to go to a meeting that starts to according to weight at the other side of the city, which means it's great. Um, I'm saving plenty of money on petrol mm. and I'm saving plenty of money on shopping because I'm not going out, <laughs> so yes. I'm not going to the shops. Um, I've started ordering clothes online, which I think is a real test of my courage. I don't find clothes easy to fit. And, in fact, because I, I walk an hour a day, so I've got mm. the golf course, which is clothes, which is I'm sorry for the golfers, but it's great for me. I had been walking in shoes, so mm. just ordinary shoes. And I, because I wear a caliper, shoes are always hard for me to get. And my delightful husband took a pair of my shoes to Kathmandu and he said, my wife needs a pair of walking shoes. Mm. And she said, so he and the manager sat down and they took my shoes and because and I wear an orthotic in the shoe, it needs to be quite deep. And he came back and he looked at my shoes again. He went back and they, he bought me a pair of shoes that I put on, which fitted straight away, which I have been using every day since for an hour, an hour mm. for me to wear walking shoes. And the rest of the time I'm wearing slippers and I've never even owned a pair of slippers in my life. He went and found me a pair of orthotic slippers with the whole, you know, all over the place and found them. So I'm very lucky. Um, oh, my so goodness. So. Now, Tricia, it's not a board resource, but if you have a link to orthotic slippers, I'm going to get you to share it with us, and I'm going to put that in the show notes because we're all living in slippers these days. And um, I've actually moved back to wearing my runners because my feet weren't coping very well with being in slippers. So you, you might need to share that very non-governance-related re resource for us. So, yeah, I'm happy to share that link. <laughs> Hi, folks. It's Helia. I've just come off an event with the Take On Board community. And I tell you, it is the best way to start the day, hearing from a great speaker and meeting others from the Take On Board community. So I wanted to let you know about the next one. We'll be hearing from Joe Smith, who's from the New Zealand Productivity Commission, about how boards with the right mix of skills and experience can help build frontier firms. She's done some hot off the press research and she'll take us through the key findings and help us understand how skillful boards can best overcome challenges and succeed. I'll be in conversation with Jo about her report, its findings, and you'll get a chance to ask questions of her too. You'll also get a chance to meet some of the fantastic Take On Board community from across Australia and the world. The event is on the 4th of November. There's a link in the show notes or on my website and super early bird tickets are available until the 7th of October. 
I hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. I mean, Trisha, we've, we've already touched on some of it. Today, we want to talk about, you know, diversity in the boardroom, being a woman with a disability in the boardroom and becoming an ally. What's been your experience in the boardroom as a woman with a disability? Well, one of the things is they think I'm the diversity in the room. Mm. Because I have a disability, we can tick that box. But if you look at our boardrooms, they're not really very diverse. They're usually what I call, not very nicely, suits. Yeah. So they're women like me and men like me who are middle-class, professional women, usually white Anglo-Saxon women uh, with housing security, mm. uh, with stable employment, in safe spaces. Mm. So it's not really diverse. We've all got the same experience. I mean, I'm the diversity because my legs don't work, but I'm really just another woman of privilege. So mm. for me, we need to expand our definition of diverse. Oh, and gender is the other diversity that mm. we have. 50-50, okay, we've got diversity. But we need diversity of thought as well as diversity of cohort. So we're getting more women of colour and men of colour onto boards, which is great, but sometimes they don't experience disadvantage as well. Mm. So how are we making sure that we actually get the right people? So I've just been involved with, I'm a member of the Disability Leadership Institute, and for them I have um, helped to develop some fact sheets, how to get on a board, what mm. do you need to know, what are transferable skills, how to actually build a board CV, mm. you know, so they think that it's the same as a work CV or an employment CV, but they don't put down the things that they do in collaboration. So they say, mm. you know, I worked for or I did this and I did that rather than we Mm. as a team have worked together we have compromised we have collaborated we have looked at the risk profile we have worked out how to do this in a different way and so those are the sort of things I think we need to encourage more so we certainly need more women on boards and we need more women who um, have experienced life in a different way mm. so we like we, if we talk about the social disadvantage. So I have a friend who's an Aboriginal woman who's deaf. And because she's fair-skinned, people, she's not always accepted as an Aboriginal person, mm. not by the Aboriginal community, but by the mainstream community. But she's deaf because she grew up in an Aboriginal mission. So therefore, mm. Mm. Um, how are we making sure that we're capturing her experiences in, say, a health board? Mm. Or in, in something that's to do with public health, not necessarily a, in a hospital setting. But how are we making sure that we're not looking just at surface? How are we digging deep into what are the areas of disadvantage that our board could actually explore and how are we doing that? So there's a tendency now to start thinking on, on paid boards to think about how do we bring the community on the board? Who are our service users mm. so who are the people who are using our services or who have connections to the service to the people who are using our services mm. so COVID-19 for example has had has been a great opportunity for connecting to community about what are you experiencing yeah so 
it's really important that we actually know how to dig deep. So from the boards you've been on, or even maybe ones you haven't been on, what have you seen that works well and what have you seen when it, yeah, when it's working well? The women's when you and I were there and we had a disability reference group, which was made up of women with disabilities who actually were able to inform the, mm. the hospital about what they wanted rather than the hospital telling them what they needed. Mm. Um, Western Health has a community advisory committee Mm-hmm. And we're re- rejigging it at the moment, but it's made up of people from the community who know their community and who are unafraid to speak up. And I must admit that the, the culture at Western Health is fabulous. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's led by a great team and it's led by a great board who get that you do walk arounds, that you actually get involved in the work of the hospital, not at an operational level, but in knowing what the hospital is. And I think um, Scope's pretty good at doing that. It's another board I'm on where they actually, in normal times, would go and talk to clients, but but be invited in in where people live, where they work, Mm. where they socialise and get to know our clients as people rather than as separate from the organisation. So... A board isn't just about making sure the books are done properly. Mm. The board is also about ensuring that the mission statement is alive and is operationed. Yeah. Operationalized, yeah. perhaps, is a better word. But it's about knowing that what we say we do on our website and what we say on our fancy board report is actually what's happening on the ground. I know that other directors have followed my lead because I'm, I talk to people. That's what I do. So I can talk to the fellow in the coffee shop at the hospital the same way that I can talk to a patient or to a family member mm. and just say, how are you going? And sometimes that brings a response. And so I certainly do that with people with disabilities. I'm, I'm well known for being at a hotel and seeing a group of people with a disability and saying to know I'll be back in a minute and just going over and saying hello because mm. people don't talk to people with disabilities. Well, well, that's interesting too. Well, interesting, that's probably not quite the right word for it. That's a little depressing, to be honest. But, I, but I'd be interested to hear, you know, talking about whether it's people with disabilities in the boardroom or young people in the boardroom or even women in the boardroom or people of colour in the boardroom, you don't want to be inverted commas just the person with a disability in a boardroom, you are a member of the board. And I know on boards that I've been on, you know, YWCA Victoria, we had four young women. They were equal members of the board. They were young women, but they were equal members of the board. What's your advice to us in the boardroom about being that strong ally and, and I guess seeing both sides in some way, seeing you as a woman with a disability and as a full board member? What's your advice to us? Well, advice, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I think just accept us as people, um, that we are just the same as you, that we've got experience that may be different to yours or it may actually be the same as yours. We, you, you just don't know. But certainly I sometimes push my way through to getting allies. But you usually can judge whether you can be the ally because not everybody mm-hmm. can. Mm. Um, and don't force it. There are people you'll get on with really well and there are people you won't get on with very well. 
I actually had one board member explain to me one day, she took me aside and explained to me um, that you have to know about finances to be on a board. And I went, okay. And I said, you do realise this isn't my first board? And she said, yes, I know, but those were disability not-for-profits. And I went, okay, that's fine. I said, you know, you probably need to do the Australian Institute of Company Directors course because the responsibilities for a small not-for-profit are exactly the same as a, an ASX company. Mm. is mm. the same. So sometimes don't make assumptions about the other person. You may, they may not want an ally. They might want to be your ally. But certainly mm. for those of us in the disability community, we would like people to actually know we do have knowledge and skills and that's great, but we also have issues that, that we'd like you to raise for us as well. Mm. Um, an example of that is when I first started doing this many, many years ago, I used to go along to women's sector meetings. There was mm. always a member of the women's sector. And I started saying, how is this policy going to impact on women with disability? And they yeah. oh, we hadn't even thought of that. And then I kept saying it. And I was, I was using a great big scooter in those days, so I was quite visible. I'd park myself at the front of the room. And political events, whatever, you know, especially around election time, you know, the women's sector would organise events and I'd go along. How is that policy going to impact? I knew I was having an impact myself when other women started to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So other women saying, have you factored in disability? Have you factored in Aboriginal? Where are the Aboriginal women in the room? Where are the women with disabilities in the room? Yes. So those are sometimes some of the questions. And, you know, I find myself now that I'm not always the first person to say, is there an accessible bathroom at this venue? Mm. Is there, um, have we factored in that people with disabilities may need to use our service. So rather than me being always the one to ask the question, if you're not sure of something, ask the person with a disability in the room. The woman yeah. with a disability is not the one who hides her disability. Um, mm. I always wear dresses when I'm speaking because, you know, I like people to see my colours because I want people to know that I'm not ashamed of having a disability and nobody else should be either. It's, mm. it's quite effective for younger women coming up to see somebody else who can be a visible role model because mm. I didn't have any growing up. I didn't know anybody who had a disability when I was growing up. So those sorts of things, just just ask, you know, is, what can we do to push this issue? Is mm. there a way that we can raise that? What are the, ask me what the issues are. That would be a good one too. What are you finding? So it might be... Um, around accessible information because information is very rarely accessible to women mm. with disabilities. There's a great new site actually which would be worth seeing which is called Our Site and I'll send you the link to that. Oh. And it's it's been developed by and for women with disabilities. It's part of Women with Disabilities Australia work. It's funded by the federal government. But it's got information for women with disabilities about everything from sexual reproductive health to knowing your rights to how to leave family violence, the whole lot. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a good one for people just to get a basic knowledge and a basic understanding. But the important thing is it's been done by and for women with disabilities and a range of disabilities. And one thing I'd love to just say that don't underestimate women with cognitive impairments. 
They can be your strongest board member because they actually read their papers. And they will say to you, what does that word mean? The third line down, fourth word in. You actually have to go and find it because we skim read. We know what it's supposed to say. We know what the context of a word is. But when somebody says to you, what does that word mean? You actually have to think about it. So that, that And I've been on a, a number of not-for-profit boards with women with cognitive impairments who are brilliant. Ah. We underestimate them and we think, well, we can't ask them because they won't know because they've got an intellectual disability or a required brain injury. Mm, that's interesting. I, I, I was talking to a colleague recently and she'd had a stroke and has some cognitive, she may well have recovered from it fully now, but had some cognitive impairment while she was on a board. And you're absolutely right. What she did was just spend a whole lot longer reading the board papers, processing the board papers and, you know, making sure she was on top of what was going on. If she put the extra time in, she was fully across things. So it wasn't an impairment. So, and no doubt noticed different things during that period, I suspect, for the board paper. So it's a great point, Tricia. And it's another, it's an, yet another angle on diversity where um, we should, I believe, see diversity as a strength rather than, you know, a deficit model in that way. I think a lot of our services have improved because we are including people with disabilities from Aboriginal communities from uh, of people of colour because what we've got is a different perspective on life. Yes. Um, and, look, we all like having people who agree with us, but sometimes it's really good to have a disruptor on the board and not a disruptor as in a nuisance, but a disruptor who's somebody who makes us think, well, we've always done it this way. Yes. It might not necessarily be the right way. And in the disability community, we have always done it in a particular way and we are now recognised that, that that was very wrong, that we kept people safe at home mm. and we should have had people in the community. And as I said, I didn't know anybody with a disability growing up because people like me were institutionalised. Well, kudos to your mother for, uh, inverted commas, not knowing any better. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh, Tricia, such a fabulous conversation and so many pearls of wisdom in there. What are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Don't underestimate women with disabilities. Seek out those women who can expand your board rather than narrow it down. Seek out those who may look different and think different because that will benefit your board. And look for people who understand your business. Because quite often where the problem lies is in that we don't have any sector knowledge on our boards. Mm. Just have people who know about business generally, mm. not about our business. Mm. And is there a resource that you would like to share with the um, Take On Board community? Absolutely. I'm quite happy to send you copies of the, the board factions. Mm. Yeah, right. you. But also our site and Women with Disabilities Australia website has some great resources on there mm. to help you understand the lives of women with disabilities and the challenges they face just a little bit better, which may improve everybody's board knowledge, if you like. Absolutely. So I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. And I might also, given the conversation we've had, I had earlier done an interview with Rhonda Brighton Hall, which touched on socioeconomic diversity in the boardroom and another interview 
as well with Sheena Watt around um, being an ally to Aboriginal women in the boardroom. So I might put a link to those episodes mm. also in the show notes because it touches on some of the topics that we've talked about today. Oh, before we close, Tricia, I would love to hear what's your proudest moment in the boardroom? I suppose really it was transforming women with disabilities, Victoria, from a feminist collective to a corporate model. So, and I suppose one of my proudest ones was hiring Karen Howe as our first CEO. And that was a brilliant choice. So I was the inaugural chair of the board and she was the inaugural CEO. And it really did um, bring women with disabilities in Victoria to a whole new level. So yeah. now it's gone from me uh, as convener to a model that now employs, I think it's 30 staff. Yeah. Um, not EFT, of course, but 30 staff doing a whole lot of things around leadership and board opportunities and more professional and funded. Yes. We had no funding at the beginning, so now we're funding. So that's, that's really important. Fantastic. Um, well, shout out to Karen and all the fabulous work that she's done as well. And of course, to you, Trisha. So thank you so much for all of your work over the decades, really, advocating for women with a disability and inclusion and diversity. And thank you for sharing your pearls of wisdom with us today at Take On Board. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure and it was fun. <laughs> So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you for being part of the conversation. As you know, I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together and I think we're stronger together. So as always, I'd love it if you could share this podcast with someone you know and ask them to subscribe. But this week, I've got a specific ask. I'm going to try an experiment for the next few weeks. Each week, I'm going to ask you if you can share this podcast with someone you know from a specific area. Do you know someone in Canada that would be interested in all things governance? That would like to hear the voices of women in the boardroom? If so, could you share this podcast with them and ask them to subscribe? Thank you so much for being part of the Take On Board community and tune in next week for more tips and tricks on being your best in the boardroom.